You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hello. Hey. Back at it again, we are. Yeah, we are. Yeah. You know what's crazy to me, Ethan Bolton? Tell me, tell me, Josiah Pitts. That when this episode is dropping, Mm -hmm. I will probably officially be a dad. Yeah. My child will exist That's why. in mean, the world. You could argue that you're, okay, You there's, there was a caveat there, thank you. Yeah, I was trying to say, because the child already in the exists, world, yes. but out, you know, in the elements, <clears throat> so to speak. Truly. What a wild thing. I'm really yeah. not sure how to This up. is the last AMA you will do as not a father, in a sense. Yes, that's correct, because... Isn't that the most elegant thing? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Definitely couldn't have said that better. <laughs> Uh, but it's an AMA. It is. We've been storing up. We've got a bunch of questions we're going to slowly go through, I think, over the next few months. Okay. We'll just kind of start wheeling them out. Yeah, keep your eyes you know, peeled. One at a time. Yeah. And we'll probably ask more questions. I don't know. You guys got questions? Ask for more questions? Absolutely. All that fun stuff. We, we love to cover it. We do. We really do. Shall we begin? Uh, let's. Well, first up, because <laughs> I definitely didn't start saying that once. We have a question. Why should I read the Old Testament? Isn't everything I need to know in the New Testament? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, the classic Bible question. I don't know if it's the classic or I not. I don't know either. It's a question about the Bible. It is a question. Not a completely unreasonable question even. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I've heard similar sentiments before, uh, very much like that, especially, I mean, even from people outside of the faith. Yeah, so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, wouldn't Jesus take care of all that? Well, it's not that simple. Yeah. So Plenty of misconception. Yeah. So we've actually covered some of this in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. So we did an episode titled, Why Bother with the Old Testament with Dr. Bill Barker. Oh. So much fun. And we did one called Modern Wisdom Through Old Testament Stories. And I believe those are episodes 13 and 18. Oh, look at you doing the research. Respectively. Yeah, I think. I Very think good. that's right. Very if you go good. back down the timeline. You can go back and listen to those, of course, but what I would like to drill down on in relation to this question Mm -hmm. is a particular portion of the Old Testament that was enormously important to the Israelites and a portion that is fairly confusing to most Christians today. And I say that with no animosity or, oh, we're all stupid. I mean, it's just, it genuinely, it's not easy to sort out. And that portion of the Old Testament to which I am referring, is the law. Oh, boy. The good old law. It's a, it's, a, it's a dense, tricky topic. It is a dense. There's a reason that there's confusion. There is a reason. I, as a matter of fact, in my own personal reading, I just finished Leviticus like three days ago. Wow. Woof doggy. Yeah. There is a lot in there to sort out. Yeah. You know what you can know? make that easier? What's that? Creative commentary episode <laughs> we did Leviticus. <laughs> You can get a broad stroke of the, uh, you know, the important and major themes running through any given book. Yes. Self-plug. <laughs> self-plug. It's like a self-five. Self-five. <laughs> like a self-high-five. For the listeners, he just high-fived himself. Yes. like To illustrate the point. Like in the old show, How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Good as call. a matter of fact. So the law and its commands were central to Israelite life. We read in Deuteronomy eleven eighteen, for instance, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, referring to the law, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So that's a pretty strong picture, I'd say, of how important and 
essential the law was to God's people. I mean, you know, it's supposed to be deep in your gut and it's informing the work of your hands and, you know, it's changing the way you live. Yeah, frontlets. Like with your glasses right now. You know, Ethan wears glasses, but like it would be like I was looking at you, but instead of just seeing your glasses, it was like, oh, I'm looking at the law. I'm still really stuck on this word. That's that's really, it's capturing my attention. It is a very, very... Frontlets between your eyes. Yeah. And actually there is a, oh, now I feel like I shouldn't say it because I can't remember the exact details. I'm sure you can turn it up with a quick Google search, but I'm remembering now, I think there is a sect of Judaism where they take that command literally Ooh. and they have like a little box oh, with oh my. like a little scroll in it that has the Shema, which is like the command, the Lord wow. our God, the Lord I, is one. You shall I love wonder Lord if that's maybe not the intent. That is, I mean. Who am I to say? I'm obviously, I'm still stuck on the word. <laughs> <not that's, laughs> so that's interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I applaud the effort, but I think you've missed the spirit for the letter, like, so to I speak. Feel like, yeah. I feel like it's a bit like if I put my Bible under my pillow, I'll know more. <laughs> Let me tell you what, that did not work for my fifth grade science book. It's not going to work for you. Just saying. Oh, that is that is a great yeah. comparison. That's not a great to analogy. downtraw a cultural practice because no. it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I think, <clears throat> never mind. <laughs> Just let's carry on. I think it's interesting. Front lips. Oh, it is. And it does, that verse even demonstrates that the law was the heart of their society. It was the heart of their culture. It was the heart of who they were as a people. And it provided a way for them to be in relationship with a holy and pure God and gave their nation a foundation to build upon. Wow, that rhymed unintentionally. I truly did not mean that to happen. It sounded very kitschy, and (laughs) I did not mean that to be. Because we, I think, tend to look at the law today and think, wow, what a bunch of legalistic commands. Yeah, and to the Israelite, it was life. It was what bridged the gap and gave you an opportunity to be in relationship with God and Mm. find cleansing for your sin. It was a good thing. But then, here's where the confusion, of course, comes in, because you get Paul, mm-hmm. the apostle. Perhaps you've heard of him in the New Testament. Twice. And then he is saying things like this in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one hmm. will be justified. And then he says in Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Mm. So at a cursory glance, you read verses like that. Yeah. We're done with the law, apparently, right? It sounds like a move of obsolescence. Yes. Chuck it out the window. Bye. It's it's all over. But that is not the intent. But it's not because, (laughs) first of all, even that Romans verse, when he says- I feel like you could easily make arguments either way, truly. Yeah. Um, For a number of reasons that it probably is not not worth anyone's time. (laughs) I just feel like it's easy to misconstrue that either or. Yeah. I mean, even that word, you know, Christ is- the end of the and law. it could be the fruition, not the punctuation. Exactly. So... And that's actually probably more accurate interpretation because <laughs> yeah. the Greek word <laughs> is telos, which is where we get teleology, which is the end of something, like the goal, mm. the fruition, okay. that kind of thing. So that's a very accurate and poignant no, observation. Off the cuff, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, look at that. Ah, oh, he's engaged his brain. <laughs> For a change. <laughs> but aside from that, you even have Jesus himself saying in passages like Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, the smallest Mm. character in the Greek alphabet language, not a dot will pass from the law until all 
is accomplished. Mm. So what the heck is going on? Well, Indeed. Then. What sense are we supposed to make out of all of this? It kind of begins to come to clarity why people ask this question and why it's been a topic of debate for literally thousands of years. Back, basically since Jesus ascended back to heaven, yeah. the church has been dealing with how the Christian relates to the law as found in the Old Testament. And a great deal of ink has been spilled on this subject and <laughs> trying to sort it out and trying to untie the knots. So obviously we don't have time to delve into an advanced oh, sure. technical history of this debate or this discussion or to even cover every possible viewpoint that exists on it. Oof. What I would like to do to help us today is share the material that I have found most helpful on the subject personally, mm -hmm. which came from the reformer John Calvin. Love him or hate him, he had some wise things to say. You just really captured some people's attention. I did. For, for good or ill. Yeah, for good or ill. Like some people are like, I love it. And some people are like, I'm never listening to this again. Um, so Calvin identified and explained three uses of the law. But before we explore that, we should probably make a few distinctions clear that exist within the law itself. So that way we're clear on what we're talking about. Yeah. So historically, the law proper that you read in the Old Testament was divided into three categories, ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law. Okay. Moral law is what Calvin is primarily concerned with. The civil law, that doesn't require much explanation. That is laws that are specific to the civil governance of the nation of Israel. Okay. So you have some specific laws about the kingship and things of that sort. Then you have the ceremonial law, which I do want to address very briefly before we actually get into Calvin's three uses of the law, because that is confusing and I do think it needs some elucidation. So let me read to you. This is a paragraph from Calvin's Institutes. All right. If you want to do the reading yourself to check me and make sure that I'm not misrepresenting our boy, Johnny Calvin. This is in book two in the seventh chapter, I believe. That's wow. where it is. Man, um, in paragraph research. seven through 11, if Goodness I'm not mistaken. Sakes. But this particular paragraph, I can't remember where it falls, but this is what he says, okay? <laughs> so here's John Calvin talking about the ceremonial law. Okay. The ceremonies have been abrogated, not in effect, but only in use. Christ by his coming has terminated them, but has not deprived them of anything of their sanctity Rather, he has approved and honored it. Just as the ceremonies would have provided the people of the old covenant with an empty show if the power of Christ's death and resurrection had not been displayed therein, so if they had not ceased, we would be unable today to discern for what purpose they were established. So that's a lot of words, very all out there. <laughs> In other words, here's what Calvin is getting at. The ceremonies were meant to foreshadow Christ and display aspects of God's character in certain ways. They were meant to show us something of his holiness, his goodness, his beauty, his glory. Mm -hmm. So maybe to continue to pick it back off Calvin, you think about the ceremonies and the ceremonial law like signposts of a sort. They're important. They ultimately are going to get you to where you're going, but they're pointing beyond themselves. Okay. Right? The ceremonies are not... It's not an end unto itself. Yeah, they are not an end unto themselves. If Christ had never come... All right, this is what Calvin was getting at. If Christ had never come, the ceremonies would have been meaningless. They would have pointed to nothing. They'd have been just like the empty rituals that Israel's pagan neighbors practiced. Right. So when Christ came, by the same token, if we hadn't stopped observing the ceremonies, it would be kind of like we just camped out at the signpost and said, oh, yes, we're at our destination. <laughs> When it's like, no, no, in reality, your destination is miles yeah. away. And as a matter of fact, another resource to read is the letter to the Hebrews. He deals with this in depth. 
depth, he is very much concerned with the law and the ceremonies and Mm -hmm. how they help us understand Christ and his office and who he is for us. So, civil law does not apply to the Christian because we're not governed under the nation of Israel. It shows us, again, both civil and ceremonial law, though they don't apply to the Christian per se, they show us something of God's character. They're not without value. Exactly. And that's what... They don't necessarily transcend. It's not a mandate for us. Right. So, the question that leaves us with is what are we to do with the moral law? Because Mm -hmm. that is a component that seems to be remains in effect. And of course, the moral law being the moral commands that have to do with just being a disciple of Jesus, a believer in God, one of his people that is separate from, oh, you're an ethnic Israelite and you are a practitioner of Judaism proper. Exactly, yeah. Separate from those. So here's what Calvin said. And again, I found this super helpful. I hope it elucidates some things. Here are his three uses. And I'm just going to quote them and then we'll explain them. Sure, okay. So here's what he says. The first use of the law is this. While it shows God's righteousness, that is, the righteousness alone acceptable to God, it warns, informs, convicts, and lastly condemns every man of his own unrighteousness. Hmm. So, in other words, the first use of the law is to show that we're all guilty before God, that none of us are perfect, that none of us have attained to what Calvin would say is the righteousness that's acceptable to God. If you read through the Ten Commandments or you read through, don't even take the Ten Commandments. You could do that. A lot of churches actually will read through the Ten Commandments in their services before they pray a prayer of confession because it highlights, here are the things you may have done this week. You may have lied. You may have stolen. You may have committed adultery of the mind. You know, those kind of things. But don't even take those. Let's just take it down to the two primary commandments of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. I promise you that since I woke up today, I have violated those commands somehow. So when I read that and I'm brought face to face with that, it forces me to realize, oh, I'm condemned. Like I cannot stand before a holy and righteous God because I have not attained the righteousness that is acceptable Mm -hmm. to him and before him. So that's the first use of the law. It's kind of bleak. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to (laughs) argue. But it is necessary, and there's a reason he has to put it there first, because... It's it's very humbling. Yeah, you need to be, in the words of Scripture all over the place, you need to be humbled Mm -hmm. before you can, as we get to the end here, receive God's grace. As a matter of fact, Psalm 51, reading that this morning, where David says... It's not a sacrifice that you're primarily after. I'm way paraphrasing. Okay, so don't (laughs) butcher me, people, please. But it's not a sacrifice that you're after. I would have brought it. A broken and contrite heart is what you find acceptable. And a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So when you come face to face with the law here, it kind of affects that in you, or it should, hopefully. It should bring you to this place where you're like, oh, I need to be broken hearted and humble exactly. before God. The second function is this, and this is a more utilitarian, I suppose, okay. view of the law that I had never really considered before I read Calvin, but I find it holds up generally. Mm-hmm. So here's what he says. The second function of the law is this, at least by fear of punishment to restrain certain men who are untouched by any care for what is just and right unless compelled by hearing the dire threats in the law. But they are restrained, not because their inner mind is stirred or affected, but because being bridled, so to speak, they keep their hands from outward activity and hold inside the depravity that otherwise they would wantonly have indulged. Okay. Again, lots of words in there. What Calvin is getting at is that if the moral law becomes, in some capacity, a functional law for society. So in the case of America, for instance, we Mm -hmm. live in America. I'm guessing most of our listeners live in America. Safe assumption. This nation has 
has in its law, in the fabric of its law, a number of Judeo-Christian values. Sure, sure. I will not say they're explicitly all Christian. No, of There's not. plenty of laws that we have. We have plenty of laws on the book. They have nothing to do with Judeo-Christian values at all. But in general, we have this understanding that, okay, murder is wrong, right? That is a moral law. Murder is wrong. Well, we as a society recognize that command and we punish those who murder people. And so there are certain unsavory characters who, because that is a law and because there is a punishment associated with it, they might otherwise be tempted to indulge their murderous thoughts. But because that law is in place, Mm -hmm. they will restrain themselves even though inside they still they still have the desire it does nothing to save them in that sense of the word if that makes sense it merely holds them back and it provides a sort of protective force (laughs) a protective (laughs) wall for those who wish to live justly and peaceably Mm. which Paul commended all Christians to pray for he said pray that our rulers and leaders and authorities might rule justly so that we can live peaceful lives working quietly with our hands so that's the second use of the law yeah Here's the third one, and this is the principal use for Christians. So he says, the third and principal use, which pertains more closely to the proper purpose of the law, finds its place among believers in whose heart the Spirit of God already lives and reigns. For even though they have the law written and engraved upon their hearts by the finger of God, as in Jeremiah 31, 33 and Hebrews 10, 16, that is, they have been so moved and quickened through the directing of the Spirit that they long to obey God and still profit by the law for moral exhortation. Mm. So again, in other words, what Calvin is getting at there is that the law, if you take it as kind of these bookends, on one end at the beginning, it condemns us. And we realize we can't attain to the righteousness necessary to be saved. Mm -hmm. Then it humbles us and we receive the free grace of God. He doesn't have that discussion explicitly when he's talking about the law, but he's discussed it earlier in the Institute. So, and he's writing to Christians. So generally you can (laughs) assume they know that. Yeah. Yeah. So once you've accepted the grace of God and the spirit transforms your heart and writes the law on your heart, then the moral law becomes something that you actually long to obey and something that forms your character. So in other words, take a society like ours that's Mm -hmm. very comfortable with, I think in large quantities, infidelity, right? We are willing to look past it. Permissive. Yeah, permissive. That's a good word. I don't want to say that we approve of it as a society in general, but we're permissive about that. Like, eh, you know, if you're not happy, you can get out of that marriage. Yeah. That value of commitment is kind of so-so. It's watered down. Yeah. Yeah, very watered down. Well, for the Christian living in a society like that, it can be easy and tempting to just say, I'll live like that. But the moral law makes it clear, right? That's right there in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, that then informs your understanding of how you live as a Christian. So that even in the moments when you feel tempted to want to get out of the marriage or tempted to be unfaithful, you look to the law and you remember, that is not God's will for me. And his will has been made clear for me in this regard in his law. And in that sense, it's actually profitable. That's what Paul would say. He says the law is profitable for instruction, for reproof, for rebuking, for instructing in righteousness. And in that function of the law, it's very useful to the Christian, not as a means to be saved. We got to make that clear. It's not how you attain righteousness. I mean, if you view it that way, you are essentially saying you don't need God. Exactly. All you need is the law. So you got to make sure you get that order right. It is the way that we walk into and live into the kind of holy life that God would have us live. Yeah. A happy, joyful, blessed life. 
So those are the three uses of the law. And so when you get into that in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers (laughs) and Deuteronomy, I found those very helpful myself to keep in mind. Yeah. Especially because some of that reading can get pretty, Uh, it can get a little tedious. I'm not going to lie. It's a little tedious. It can. It's a little tedious. It's up there. Mm. It's up there. But with helps like these, I think it makes it richer to read and more applicable at the risk of sounding a bit too pragmatist. No, certainly. I think even (laughs) thinking back when I first kind of like came to understand the idea of these different arenas of the law yep. and the way it's like civil and ceremonial and actually didn't even know that much in depth, but I had a very rudimentary understanding that they're, they're not all on the same playing field. Their purposes yeah. that they serve, it's not all geared necessarily to us in the same way that right. as when it was written. And that was kind of a transformative moment to, mm-hmm. to kind of understand that, but I appreciate having like a more in-depth look into the different arenas in which they function. Yeah. It is quite enriching to the life of the mind and the life of a life probably. <laughs> It's a new phrase. Coin that. Patent that. Trademark (laughs) that. Oh, golly. So there we are. If you have any other questions about the Old Testament, the law, Calvin's three uses of it, the (laughs) Institutes, what have you, I don't know, send those questions to podcast at horizonschurch.net. Yeah. Or, you know, shoot us a message on social media or keep an eye out for Instagram polls or Facebook things. We do all those things, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So thanks for listening. Hey, Ethan, thanks for being a great co-host. I was less talkative. I recognize that. But you know what? I was was thrown for a pensive loop. That's all right. We all need to be thrown for pensive loops. Yeah, in a good way. So hopefully I wasn't distracting. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because that... Got my mind turning. That's good stuff. Mm. Indeed. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. So once we're done patting each other on the back. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be it. So yeah, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time. Mm.